Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. On this week's episode, I cover more updates on the MoveIt breaches, including details on U.S. government agencies who have fallen victim. MoveIt also has a new security vulnerability which requires immediate action from customers. Google Domains business is being sold to a competitor. And ChatGPT provides working Windows activation keys to users. For this and more, keep listening to this episode, which of course is brought to you by my sponsors, including Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage the lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. It has emerged that several U.S. state agencies, including the Department of Energy, plus some banks and universities, have been identified as known victims of the MoveIt hack. And this has affected companies across many different countries, also including Ireland and the UK for closer to home for me. In fact, CNN is reporting the number of companies breached is in the hundreds. And Jen Easterly, director of the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, told reporters that the breach has not had any significant impacts on federal civilian agencies and that the hackers have been largely opportunistic in their attack. The ransomware group had given victims until Wednesday to contact them about paying a ransom, after which they started to list more alleged victims from the hack on their extortion site on the dark web. And as of Thursday morning of last week, the dark website did not list any U.S. federal agencies. Instead, the hackers wrote in all caps, quote, If you are a government, city or police service, do not worry, we erased all your data. You do not need to contact us. We have no interest to expose such information, end quote. So very, very interesting that, uh, you know, they're more than willing to take on these uh, private companies, but not so brave to take on uh, U.S. government agencies. I mean, maybe they're taking a moral high ground here, or maybe they know who not to mess with, who has uh, the power to really bring the hammer down on them. Another large company that was disclosed as a victim is Shell Oil, who Kevin Beaumont pointed out were actually a victim of a breach via a zero-day in Excellence platform in 2021. And after that, they took the action to move from Excellion to MoveIt. And now they've been hit via zero-day through the MoveIt platform, which I don't think it's really that much of an indictment on uh, either vendor or on Shell Oil themselves. It just further illustrates uh, how crazy things are right now. And, you know, no one should really get on their high horse and say, huh, look at them getting breached. Because I think everyone's going to have their moment to shine with this. No one's immune. So, you know, that whole uh, move it thing that I just talked about and how the vulnerability was used by the Klopp uh, gang to gather data from a lot of high value targets. Well, there's more bad news for those using MoveIt, 
Uh, there is another critical move at vulnerability listed as CVE-2023-35708, and this could lead to escalated privileges and potential unauthorized access to the environment. If you are a MoveIt transfer customer, it is extremely important that you take immediate action as noted in the MoveIt advisory for MoveIt transfer customers. And the advisory suggests this is a SQL injection vulnerability or SQL, depending how you like it pronounced, and has been identified in the Move It Transfer web application that, as I said, could allow an unauthenticated attacker to gain unauthorized access to the Move It Transfer database. An attacker could submit a crafted payload to a Move It Transfer application endpoint, which could result in modification and disclosure of Move It database content. There are several different mitigation paths depending on whether or not the May vulnerability has been patched yet or not in your environment. And the first immediate step suggested is to disable all HTTP and HTTPS traffic to your MoveIt transfer environment and do not re-enable it until all other mitigation steps recommended in the advisory are completed. And I'll share a link to that with this episode. If you are a MoveIt transfer customer, you'll want to look at that advisory and follow those steps. And I'll share it with this episode, which is episode 287. You'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com. Royal Van Buren shared on Twitter that the recently released Notepad++ version 8.54 is triggering in Defender on Windows 11 as Trojan script whackattack.b exclamation ml specifically highlighting the notepad plus plus 8.54 uninstalled.exe and he stated that there's no issues with this on windows 10 so this is specific to windows 11 right now so heads up if anyone keeps up to date on notepad plus plus this may trigger your antivirus asus have released new firmware with cumulative security updates that address vulnerabilities in multiple router models warning customers to immediately update their devices or restrict wan access until they're secured bbcomputer.com reports the patch fixes nine vulnerabilities the most severe of them tracked as cve-2022-26376 and cve-2018-1160 the first of which is a critical memory corruption weakness in the ASUS WRT firmware for ASUS routers that could let attackers trigger denial of services states or gain ex- code execution. Updates are available via the support website and each product's page or via links provided in the advisory, uh, which is linked in the bleakpingcomputer.com story, and I'll share a link with this episode for that. And the company also recommends creating distinct passwords for the wireless network and router administration pages of at least eight characters, combining uppercase letters, numbers, and symbols, and avoiding using the same password for multiple devices or services. The support website also provides detailed information on updating the firmware to the latest version and the measures users can take to make their routers more secure. So when it comes to router security, don't mess around, uh, don't delay, get patching as quickly as possible. Squarespace have announced that it entered into a definitive asset purchase agreement with Google, whereby Squarespace will acquire the assets associated with the Google domains business. This includes approximately 10 million domains hosted on Google domains spread across millions of customers. 
Google cited efforts to sharpen their focus in selling the Google Domains Registrar business, which launched in 2014 as a big proponent of HTTPS and top-level domains as of late. The service exited beta in 2022. Squarespace says it will honor all existing Google Domains customers' renewal prices for at least 12 months following the closing of this transaction, which is expected to occur in Q3 2023. So 12 months from then would obviously be Q3 2024. Uh, Squarespace will also become the exclusive domains provider for any customer purchasing a domain along with their workspace subscription from Google directly for a minimum of three years, which would be a big boon for them. So very interesting development. And I kind of had a chuckle of uh, the Google domains registrar business launched in 2024 and the top level domains and and all these developments, but the service exited beta in 2022. So one year out of beta and then sold. Pretty crazy. Well, that's Google in them. A quick update to one of last week's stories. I covered the fact that another Windows update released as part of the June patches required a security setting to be enabled after the patch was installed. So the patch was patching the vulnerability, quote unquote, but the actual mitigation or security fix was disabled by default. And I suggested that recently when Microsoft has delivered a patch for a vulnerability that did not en enable the actual protection by default, it was because the fix had a high chance of causing problems for customers. Well, Microsoft has now updated the advisory around this patch, stating it introduces a potential breaking change and quote, Therefore, we are releasing the change disabled by default with the option to enable it. In a future release, this resolution will be enabled by default. We recommend that you validate this resolution in your environment. Then as soon as it is validated, enable the resolution as soon as possible." End quote. So just like the May Windows update that delivered a patch but didn't enable the actual security protection by default, it looks like they're going to uh, move this to enable by default and maybe iterative steps. So definitely worth knowing if you want to protect yourself and possibly run the risk of breakages before that, uh, you can opt to do that. In an update to another previous story that I covered on the podcast, Microsoft has now stated the disruption to Outlook and OneDrive that happened earlier this month was caused by denial of service attacks. You may remember I covered these disruptions and the fact a hacktivist group by the name of Anonymous Sudan was claiming credit, but at the time, Microsoft did not report or confirm that the outages were caused by an attack. Microsoft have now said that the attacks temporarily impacted availability of some services and said the attackers were focused on disruption and publicity and likely used rented cloud infrastructure and virtual private networks to bombard Microsoft servers from so-called botnets of zombie computers around the globe. They also stated there was no evidence any customer data was accessed or compromised. The Associated Press article about the story includes quotes from cybersecurity experts such as Jake Williams and concludes that Microsoft is not sharing many technical details about this attack and that Microsoft not disclosing the number of customers impacted by the outage may speak to the magnitude of the attack. But this is obviously speculative on the part of these experts and the Associated Press as by their own admission, there is no way to measure the impact if Microsoft does not provide that information. 
Microsoft recently shared a reminder about the retirement of Azure AD Graph and PowerShell module deprecation. In the advisory, they reiterated no new investment is going into Azure AD Graph and the three PowerShell modules, making it very important that all customers prioritize migration to Microsoft Graph APIs and Microsoft Graph PowerShell SDK to ensure continued support and functionality. However, Microsoft have also said they understand that many customers are not yet complete with these migrations and confirm continued commitment to work with customers during this migration period to minimize and avoid impact. And it reads from this advisory that it looks like, uh, for the most part, things will continue to work. However, the availability will cease on June 30th, so just a few days from now but no applications using Azure AD Graph will be impacted on this date. Likewise, if you're using the PowerShell module, it looks like they should continue to work at least until September 30th for the PowerShell modules. They also said that they're postponing the deprecation date for MS Online, Azure AD, and Azure AD Preview PowerShell modules until March 30th, 2024. So they must've got significant pushback on that. They say after this date, the only support offered for these PowerShell modules will be support in migrating to Microsoft Graph PowerShell SDK, and only security fixes will be offered for these PowerShell modules after deprecation is announced. Once these modules are deprecated, they will continue to work for a minimum of six months before being retired. HPE held their HPE Discover event in Las Vegas this week and had some pretty big announcements regarding their HPE GreenLake platform. They said that HPE have expanded its relationship with AWS to simplify hybrid cloud transformation by delivering a consistent unified hybrid cloud experience to customers, including offering the HPE nonstop development environment delivered as an Amazon machine image and HPE fraud risk management as a software as a service offering in the AWS marketplace. They've also added new capabilities to HPE GreenLake for backup and recovery, and the enhancement offers new protects on on-premises and cloud databases managed by Microsoft SQL Server and Amazon Relational Database Service. HPE GreenLake added software as a service offerings for backup and machine learning, uh, delivers additional HPE SaaS offerings on the AWS marketplace in addition to what I just said, and have extended network as a service portfolio. HPE has expanded the HPE GreenLake private cloud portfolio with HPE GreenLake for private cloud business edition, which is a new offering that allows customers to spin up virtual machines across hybrid clouds on demand. HPE also announced enhancements to HPE GreenLake for private cloud enterprise to address multi-cloud use cases by providing upcoming support to deploy Red Hat OpenShift. And HPE and VMware are building on long-standing partnership by enhancing HPE GreenLake for VMware Cloud Foundation pay-per-use solution with pre-configured and tested HPE Cloud modules optimized for VMware Cloud Foundation. And there was a lot more announcements just related to HPE GreenLake, and I'll share a link with this episode for those announcements if you want to check them out for yourself. And I recorded this on Tuesday night, so day one had just finished. There may be more announcements that I cover on next week's episode. I'm not entirely sure. I tried to get this episode out a bit early this week because I've got to go to the Irish CUGC. I debated if this next one should be in the scripts, tricks, and tips or not, but I figured it is pretty newsworthy. 
Uh, Freak Pearson shared that the bicep parameter files feature is now available with version 0.18.4 of the product. This was in an experimental state, but is now available generally. The bicep param files are supported in AZ CLI and PowerShell. It looks like you are able to simply right-click to decompile bicep params files and to generate these files in VS Code, which is pretty cool. Jen Gentleman shared this week that the ability to uncombine taskbar icons and show labels is now available for all insiders using the dev channel. There are also many fixes listed with this uh, recent update in the dev channel, and they also indicated they've removed some folder options within Explorer. A heads up shared on Twitter by Sasha about the Citrix VDA version 2305 and its known issues, which are listed by Citrix in the what's new and known issues section for this VDA and profile management. Uh, but with profile management version 2305 installed on the VDA, Outlook fails to launch with an error message related to an UPM Outlook hook.dll is either not designed to run on Windows or contains an error. And it says try installing the program again using the original installation media or contact your system administrator or the software vendor for support. And the error code is 0x0000. 428. So a big heads up because obviously you don't want to break Outlook on your virtual machines if you're running with the profile management version 2305. Over the weekend, there were tweets from various people claiming ChatGPT was generating Windows 10 activation keys. WindowsCentral.com reported that Google Bard has also returned these activation keys, but it has also been clarified that while they do appear to work, their AI-generated Windows product keys are generic, so upgrading or installing Windows using the AI-generated product keys will limit your access to operating system's features. So they're not full-fledged activation keys, but they will activate and they will work, but those are generic keys. It's interesting that it even returned working generic keys because I guess that means just the way that I understand it with ChatGPT in particular, uh, if you ask it something and it can't answer, it tends to make something up. So you would think for something like a product key, it may not be able to find a valid activation key. So it would just like make up a random uh, product key, but it looks like it's pulling these generic keys from somewhere. And finally, the CUGC Ireland event in Belfast will be taking place this Thursday, June 22nd, starting at 1.30 p.m. We've got some great speakers lined up at this event. It looks like James Rankin, Dave Brett, Paul Murray, and I was about to say Antonio Carroll because that's how it showed up with Autocorrect, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, Antoine Carroll, though Antonio is pretty cool. Uh, Gavin Strong, and also, of course, the amazing Wendy Gay. So if you're in Ireland on Thursday, pop up to Belfast, and I'll see you there, and it looks like it's going to be a really great lineup. Well, that's it for this week's news. Let's get into the scripts, tricks, and tips. Keeping it concise this week because it's been a shorter week between episodes and also just because I didn't have much material, to be honest. 
Uh, Microsoft have released a diagram that illustrates a high-level architecture for Windows 365. So if you're in discussions at work about Windows 365, maybe you're an AVD customer, maybe a Citrix customer or whatever, and you're just having conversations and thinking about Windows 365, this could help inform your decision. And I was trying to dig it up. I couldn't find it on Twitter anymore. But I remember Rob Beekman's had a really great diagram um, showing the licensing of Windows 365 and the additional licenses that you'd have to pay for to get some of the features. And it looks like in this high-level architecture, it lists some of these other kind of optional features within the architecture too. Uh, it would be really cool if Microsoft would have a diagram that's actually showing the, you know, the licensing, what you get out of the base offerings and how much each additional uh, subscription costs and just how much uh, resources or whatever is required for supporting these different architectures that's being suggested or these different features. But that's it for this episode. You know, if you listen to the episode every week, I'd appreciate it if you could give the podcast a review on your podcast platform of choice. Maybe tell friends about it. It just helps grow the listenership of the podcast and it helps me to justify to continue to put so many hours into this every single week. I hope you guys like the podcast still. But thank you all so much for listening. And if you're in Belfast, I'll see you there.